Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the conversation. I'm John Iderola. In just a little bit, I'm going to be speaking with David Dayan about the high cost of prescription drugs and a few plans to potentially bring it down or not really bring it down, but seem like that's what they're trying to do. But stick around because after my conversation with David, Brooke Thomas, who's my co-host on the Damage Reports on Mondays, is going to be on to talk with Zeke Stokes about LGBTQ issues. So you're definitely gonna wanna stick around for that. But before we get to that, let's start off talking about prescription drugs. David Dayan is the executive editor for the American Prospect and his writing has appeared virtually everywhere writing can appear. David, welcome to the conversation. Thank you for having me on. Uh, very glad to have you on. Uh, you have a, a, a recent article um, about the high cost of uh, insulin and how some of the plans that are being bandied about in Congress right now, even if they had been passed, would not have helped some people who did desperately need help in this area. Can you give us an overview of what your article concerned? Yeah, that's right. Uh, the story was about HR3, which is a bill that actually passed the House of Representatives today. Um, on a party line vote, uh, it is not expected to really go anywhere in the Senate. And uh, there was a lot of, this is a bill that Nancy Pelosi made a priority. Uh, they've been working on it all year long. Uh, she initially was trying to get a compromise with the Trump administration to, to pass something that could actually become law. Uh, Trump turned on her, uh, surprise, he's, he's not a, an honest negotiator. Oh. He uh, uh, trashed the bill, it's, it's not likely to pass. Yet all the compromises that were put into the bill uh, to, to elicit Trump's support stayed in in uh, the, the bill, or for the most part anyway, uh, that passed today. And uh, I had a conversation with Nicole Smith-Holt and uh, her son, Alec Rayshon Smith, uh, when he turned 26, he was forced to go off his mother's, his parents' insurance. And he's a diabetic, was a type 1 diabetic, and could no longer afford insulin when he was uninsured. And uh, he quickly uh, used up all the uh, uh, insulin pens in his house, and he died about five days oh, after geez. going off the insurance. Uh, tampering with all the insulin pens to get the last bit of insulin out of them. Uh, and I asked uh, Nicole Smith-Holt, uh, uh, what do you think about this HR3, this drug bill? And she said, well, it wouldn't have helped my son live because uh, the bill sets up a price negotiation system on a certain select number of drugs uh, uh, that uh, Medicare and employer-based uh, uh, patients uh, patient people who have employer-based insurance would get access to those new prices, negotiated prices, but the uninsured would not benefit at all. And so uh, for some reason, there was no effort made to get the uninsured, the most vulnerable people uh, yeah. involved in, in the high cost of prescription drugs covered by the price negotiation scheme that was set up by HR3. And, and just to be clear, in case people might think, okay, well, it seems like there's a gap, but maybe it's a small one. We are talking about millions, potentially tens of millions of Americans would fall into this crack. Yeah, you're talking about 30 million people. 30 I mean, million people. You're talking about the uninsured. Yeah. yeah. So uh, look, I, I want that's just a horrible, horrible story. Should not happen anywhere in the world. Certainly shouldn't happen in a country as rich as ours. And, and I want to talk to you about some of the, the the potential amendments that were being considered for the bill, some of the other plans. But first, Donald Trump, he does keep saying that this is one of his priorities. The 
weird drama that's going on between Alex Azar and and one of the other um, uh, aides to the president is apparently over disagreements and how to bring down drug costs. So if this was one area where hypothetically he could have gotten a win and this bill looks like it moved quite a bit in his direction, why do we believe he turned on Pelosi and the bill at the last minute? Well, there were a series of meetings between Trump and Greg Walden, who is a ranking member on one of the major committees in in the House of Representatives. He's a Republican and he is in bed with the pharmaceutical industry. And he appears to have had an effect on Trump's thinking on this. Trump has, you know, he said during his campaign that the drug companies get away with murder. He has proposed some ideas like, uh, using an international index to uh, set the negotiation price uh, for prescription drugs and something that's mirrored in HR3, uh, an index of countries that pay lower costs. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, ultimately, he, he turned against it and, and he's trying to move towards a Republican bill that's being proposed in the Senate. Although Mitch McConnell doesn't even like that one. Uh, so it's this tension between populism on the right and uh, their, their still love affair with pro-business interests yeah. uh, like the pharmaceutical industry. So it's, 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 that's what's kind of holding this up. There was uh, one moment where Trump said, uh, an aide to Trump, the aide you were referring to, this guy Grogan, said uh, in a meeting with conservatives, nobody's going to get to Trump's left on prescription drugs. Uh, but apparently that's been thrown by the wayside because uh, drug profits are apparently uh, too precious to, to get rid of. Yeah, it's a classic case of promises made, promises squirrel. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I, we can't go deep into it obviously because I do wanna return to this bill and, and some of the amendments. But the Senate bill that you're talking about there, it looks like it, it's not gonna become law either. But would that bill have helped in the, in the case that you that you go into in your article? No, <laughs> um, that bill was really focused on seniors, uh, and it had this little bit where uh, uh, prices could not be uh, increased above the rate of inflation in Medicare, and if they were, there would be a rebate that would be given to the government mm-hmm. for all excess profits above the rate of inflation. Uh, that's really the only major piece of the Senate bill that. That part is also in the House bill, and it was actually the source of a lot of tension between Nancy Pelosi and the Progressive Caucus. Mm -hmm. The Progressive Caucus, Pramila Jayapal, had an amendment saying, okay, if you're doing that for Medicare, why don't you do that for the 150 million people in employer-sponsored insurance and make sure their drug prices also don't raise above the rate of inflation? And uh, for whatever reason, it's kind of complicated, but- uh, Pelosi did not want that to happen. Uh, and even though Pramila Jayapal got that amendment through one of the committees, the Education and Labor Committee, uh, it was stripped out of the bill. And uh, at, at one point, it looked like because of that, the Progressive Caucus was going to vote against this bill and tank it, mm-hmm. uh, uh, vote down the rule for the bill, which would have had them to go back to the drawing board. There was a last minute negotiation between Jayapal, Mark Pocan, the other co-chair of the Progressive Caucus, and Pelosi, where she got her amendment back into the bill, uh, along with one other thing, which was increasing the number of drugs that could be negotiated in a given year. Uh, Initially, the bill had only 25 per year. Uh, It now goes up to 50 in the second year and maintains that number. 
that's still a, a small portion of, of prescription drugs that are out there, but it is double what was initially in the bill. Uh, so uh, there were some changes, and actually, it's more about the the actual revolt itself and the fact that the Progressive Caucus was willing to defy leadership to get concessions out of them, uh, which is a, a kind of a rare thing in Congress. Uh, that was an important moment, sort of, for the dynamic of the House of Representatives. Ultimately, it's based on a bill that's not going to become law, and even the changes that were made were only about two of the four that they were requesting, including the one about the uninsured and the insulin patient that I was talking about. That was another demand of the Progressive Caucus that they weren't able to get into HR 3 in the final vote. Now, um, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, um, you've got an article that's out right now that you co-authored with Ryan Grimm in, in uh, The Intercept right now. So they're, they're pushing back against this. Uh, what would they like to see happen? Right, so uh, that, that was in the context of this fight between the Progressive Caucus and Nancy Pelosi. And Sanders and Warren over the weekend took uh, the Progressive Caucus's side on this. Mm -hmm. And that was at a moment where it was unclear whether the Progressive Caucus would have the votes to tank the bill. So uh, there was, you know, I mean, this is really about the, the future of the party uh, as much as anything. Uh, Pelosi was very keen to ignore progressive demands on this bill. Uh, to sort of dismiss them, to think that she could muscle through whatever she wanted. And it turned out that actually was not the case, uh, that, that she did have to listen to her left flank on this issue. She didn't give everything, but she did have to give some concessions. And uh, you know, the future of sort of the House of Representatives and, and how much the, the, the progressive left is gonna have to be listened to is really what was paramount here. Yeah. And uh, that will be a very important kind of step moving forward. I, I'm sure it won't be forgotten among the House leadership. So we only have one more minute, but I'm, but I'm curious, based on your read of uh, Trump's changing attitude, the Mitch McConnell's lack of interest in even his own side's bill, do you think that it's likely that we will get to the general election with nothing passing in this area? This is obviously a huge issue. It was the number one issue in the midterms. Uh, it'll be a live issue, I believe, in 2020. And Donald Trump promised his constituents that he would do something about the high cost of prescription drugs. You look at something like insulin, which is tripled in a decade, even though it's a hundred year old drug. That's crazy. Uh, so, uh, you know, this is one where whoever becomes a Democratic nominee certainly will have a place to say, Donald Trump, you betrayed your promise here. You had an opportunity to bring down the cost of prescription drugs. I mean, say what you will about uh, Pelosi's HR3, it would have been an advance in whatever way every single Democrat in yeah. uh, the House voted for it. So it would have been something, but uh, uh, Trump decided not to go with it. So we're gonna hear a lot about this in 2020. Yeah, and my final advice to Nancy Pelosi would be, if you're gonna pass a bill that's not gonna get made into law anyway, why not make it a good bill that would actually solve the problem and then campaign based on that? You're, you're a smart guy. I, I try, I try. Uh, David Dayan, thank you uh, again for joining us today. Thanks a lot. Okay, we're gonna take a short break. When we come back, uh, Brooke Thomas will be here speaking with Zeke Stokes. They're gonna uh, delve into some LGBTQ issues. So you'll see that right after this. Welcome back to the conversation here on TYT. I'm Brooke Thomas, and lucky you, you're getting a little bit of everybody on today's show, right? Yeah. 
having a little fun with it. Uh, you know, and uh, we are going to have a great guest, a guest, uh, a repeat guest. We have this guest on a lot and for good reason. So I want to welcome Zeke Stokes, a senior advisor to GLAAD and also president of ZS Strategies. Zeke, welcome back. I'm glad to have you. Thank you so much for having me, Brooke. It's great to be back with you. It's always great to talk to you. And today uh, we're talking about the Department of Labor's, I guess, fairly new policy that would allow federal contractors to target or even fire, if I'm right, at LGBTQ workers due to their religious beliefs without penalty. Can you break down what's going on? Well, this is really a part of an ongoing strategy and plan to roll back the rights of LGBTQ people across our federal government. And it's being helmed right out of the White House by this president. We've seen more than 135 attacks, as we've talked about on on this network before against LGBTQ people in policy and rhetoric since Donald Trump took office. And this Department of Labor ruling really brings, brings, brings home this idea that somehow religious freedom and LGBTQ rights and equality are somehow contradictory to one another. And they absolutely are not. We can reach full equality in this country without infringing on a single person's religious freedom. In fact, there are a lot of LGBTQ people who are themselves religious. And so this is an attempt, as I said, by this administration in every way it can to roll back the progress we've made over the last couple of decades. We've seen it with the transgender military ban. We've seen it with Donald Trump removing us from the 2020 census. We've seen it with you know, the refusal to, to do something as simple as, as, as fly pride flags over US embassies during Pride Month. So this is part and parcel of all of that. And I want to touch on something that you just brought up actually, kind of this use of how religion is used almost as a weapon against LGBTQ equality essentially, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a group of people, you know, they are a minority of Americans. We know that 80% of Americans support LGBTQ equality, full LGBTQ equality, but there is a minority of Americans. And unfortunately, they have a stranglehold on the Republican Party these days who believe that somehow their religion is being infringed upon when I marry my husband or or I even try to go, you know, be served a piece of cake in a restaurant. So we've seen court cases, we've seen state legislation. Legislative battles, um, but they really are, uh, are are not folks who are who are well intended. They're using religion, as you said, as a weapon uh, and really as a license to discriminate, as an excuse uh, to discriminate in the public square uh, in 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 many many ways. And it's harming LGBTQ people in very real ways across this country. And I want to talk about the. I want to shift to the 2020 election, the presidential election campaigns, voting, and because I think that there are possibly a lot of. Uh, non facts out there. And so I was hoping that you could break some things down with me. Like specifically as of right now, which presidential candidate is or are which which of them are polling the highest in the LGBTQ plus community? Well, we've actually seen Elizabeth Warren polling the highest in one of the first in one of the first polls ever to to poll specifically LGBTQ people. But I'll say um, I don't have any reason to believe that's not true. But I also will share that I I don't think LGBTQ people are voting in sync in this primary. I know a lot of LGBTQ people with with Warren. I know a lot of friends who are with Biden or or were with Harris or with Booker or with Buttigieg. I think what LGBTQ people are really looking for is someone who understands the damage that's been done by this administration and is not just an ally. You know, all of these candidates are allies in one way or another. Some have better records than others of allyship. But what we really want to hear is from these candidates is that. 
not only do they have a plan to reverse the damage that's been done by Donald Trump, but they have a plan to move us forward to full equality and acceptance. We can still be fired in more than half the states in this country. We can still be, uh, young people can still be uh, subjected to conversion therapy in more than half the countries. We've seen a rise in hate violence against LGBTQ people, particularly transgender women of color, uh, more than 17% overall rise in hate crimes uh, for LGBTQ people. So, uh, you know, that's one poll. I think it probably, uh, it's probably uh, 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 reflects what is really happening out there. But I do think LGBTQ people are still searching for candidates in a lot of ways. I want to touch on again, like something you just said, because we, we do know that black trans women are the, at most risk for violence out of any other um, like group of people in our country, overwhelmingly so. And um, do you think candidates are addressing the dangers that black trans women face? And just what your thoughts of how it's being discussed in general? Well, I was particularly pleased by how the candidates uh, spoke about this epidemic of violence against trans women of color at GLAD's uh, debate in Iowa uh, back in September, Elizabeth Warren stepping on stage and instead of her opening remarks to sort of give her elevator speech about why she should be president, she read the names uh, of all the trans women of color uh, who have been murdered so far this year. What we need is a candidate, a president who will take uh, who take this very seriously and 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 create an initiative at uh, the Department of Justice to ensure that law enforcement across this country understand why this is an epidemic, what they can do to stop it, and how, when it happens, they should deal with these uh, with these uh, crimes and with the people who uh, who are affected by them. Uh, which candidate do you feel like overall? I guess I imagine that Elizabeth Warren is going to be at the top of this list. But any candidates you feel are addressing the community as a whole, like best and issues that affect the entire community. You know, I think the Democratic candidates have, by and large, done a very good job of doing of addressing LGBTQ issues and 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 voters. You know, we represent six. We represented six percent of the entire voting electorate in two thousand. 18 uh, and 82% of us vote progressive. We vote for Democrats. We vote for pro-equality candidates. So there's an enormous opportunity for these candidates to speak to our community. And if you look at a state like Michigan, in fact, where Donald Trump won by just 10,000 votes, we've actually identified 76,000 unregistered or unvoting LGBTQ people in that state. That's just one of many states, Pennsylvania, Arizona, North Carolina. You can go state by state and, and really mathematically demonstrate that our vote could make the difference between winning and losing a state and, and therefore the electoral college. So this is very important. We're the second most reliable voting bloc for Democrats right behind people of color. And uh, and so I'm very excited that these candidates are taking us seriously. Uh, I have to give props to Elizabeth Warren. I think Cory Booker's done an amazing job. Obviously, uh, Pete Buttigieg, whether you agree with his policies or not, has done an extraordinary job of representing LGBTQ people under the very hot spotlights of a presidential race uh, in a very uh, respectful and compelling way. So there's a lot. There's a lot of good out there in the field. What do you think uh, it, it means? Because I, just what you just said, you're right. Absolutely, representation matters, and it's important regardless of uh, how you may feel specifically about that candidate. What is it like uh, to see Pete Buttigieg, an out gay man, running for president? I have to tell you, uh, you know, I'm not supporting any one candidate specifically, but I have to tell you when I look at what he's been able to do, uh, and I think back to you know just. 
five years ago, six years ago, my husband and I couldn't have even been married. We weren't married. We could only get married after the Supreme Court paved the way. Pete Buttigieg couldn't get married. He couldn't serve openly in the military. Um, I think he's the personification of a lot of the progress we've made. I think some of the some of the the, the, the backlash he's getting, though, is because in some ways he also personifies some of the progress we haven't made as a yeah. community. Um, and I think that's that's an important conversation to have. It, absolutely, because as, as kind of what you touched on, like identities intersect. And so there's absolutely like there are a lot of LGBTQ people who are also black. And so then you may be in this space where um, there's positives and then massive negatives. and. Um, I like that you pointed that out. Are there any candidates on the left that are overwhelmingly unpopular? Well, you know, I have to uh, call out Tulsi Gabbard uh -huh. in that respect. You know, she has a pretty, a pretty devastating uh, record, uh, not only of not being an ally uh, to the LGBTQ community historically, but actually actively working against our community. Um, you know, she, she, she says she's evolved, and I think we have to take uh, her at her word there. And we certainly do. I certainly do. That said, I think there's enough question mark uh, on her record to make LGBTQ people uh, pretty nervous about. Her um, and uh, you know I think there's a lot of reasons to be nervous about Tulsi Gabbard, quite frankly. Is it any other candidates? Uh, yeah, you know I guess I wouldn't single out anyone else. I think I think the I think the 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 the, the field of candidates has done a really good job, and I think we would be in good shape with um, with virtually any of them. Certainly exactly. over this president. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Thank you so much, Zeke. I am. It's always great to talk to you. I'm glad we got to break down oh, thank you. so many different aspects of this conversation. Zeke Stokes, yeah. a senior advisor to GLAD and the president of ZS Strategies. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. Have a great night. You too. All right, that's it for the conversation. I'm Brooke Thomas. Thanks for thanks as always for letting me come hang out with you for a little bit.